Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for that blessing. That was unexpected. We are so deeply honored uh, to be here. We feel like we are in uh, one of the greatest seasons of our lives and so privileged to know you and be a part of what God's doing here at Graceland Church. And I was thinking, especially standing here looking at my kids, uh, one, the oldest one is not with us today, uh, how thankful I am to have a church that loves and blesses our children. Uh, that's not always the case in churches with pastors' kids. So thank you for letting us be a real family. You know what I mean? Like we're kind of like crazy, a mess, all that stuff, um, and loving us and and just being an honest place. So we're so, so grateful. So thankful you guys are here today at Graceland Church. I wanna highlight a couple things before I get into the message today. We're in a youth pastor transition right now, praying for our new youth pastor, talking to some people, excited about all the possibilities, and I'm helping uh, in the meantime and working with our team. And tonight, uh, we're going back into this series that I just wanna let you know about. It's called You Asked For It, where the students have sent us anonymous questions, and so we are talking through things like anxiety, peer pressure, grades, bullying, kindness, change, relationship with God, and other things. Every Sunday, 5 to 7 p.m., we have a lot of fun. They're really developing some great friendships. We play games. It's a little bit crazy. Uh, now that I'm there as the lead pastor of our church, sometimes like I shouldn't be seeing this. Can this really happen in church? And, but we have worship. We praise, growth. It's hope. It's really beautiful. And we have prizes for the kids that bring the most friends and it's not about getting a lot of kids in a room, but it's about letting as many kids as we can know about Jesus and helping them hear and know God's voice. So we're so thankful God's doing a beautiful thing there. Our team is growing too. If you have interest in working with our youth, let me know, if, and I'd love to chat with you about that. We have a Newcomers Connect that I'm just re-highlighting, October 1. That same Sunday, we're doing water baptisms. Uh, we're no longer gonna put the baptismal over here because the drums are there. Uh, isn't it nice having the drum cage now? Didn't the team sound wonderful? They did a great job. We've been talking about this already, but we're gonna put the baptismal a little bit more front and center and do the chairs around it on those Sundays and really celebrate at the end of each service with baptisms. If you wanna get baptized, uh, let me know or one of our staff or email us. Um, I also wanna give you a little glimpse. We have two Sundays left in the series uh, we're doing today. We've been studying the Gospel of John. And then in October, we're gonna start a two-month series called Navigating Relationships in Every Aspect of Life. So we're talking about uh, marriages. We're talking about friendships. We're talking about dating. We're talking about family dynamics. We're talking about our relationship with ourself, our relationship with God, and every aspect of life. And part of this uh, and the timing of it was to hopefully set you up for a more pleasant Thanksgiving and Christmas with your family. You know what I mean? We want to give you some tools uh, to work on leading up to all these encounters you're about to have. I say that in uh, jest, but also completely seriously. You know, we want to really grow and how God has called us to relate. And then way down the line on November 11th, it's a Saturday, we have our fall festival. So mark your calendar for that, 1 to 4 p.m. We'll roll out the details soon. This is an event we do for our community, so our whole church bands together, and we're gonna go bigger than we've ever gone before. And we get about, I think last year we had about 800 people around our property and just get to bless them through doing a great event. And we, we're doing November 11th because we wanted to lean cold rather than lean hot. So I'd rather do a fall festival and have to wear, if it's chilly that day, a little coat than do a fall festival in 90 degree heat. Are you guys with us? We just, all right, good, good. We're on the same page. It's going to be amazing. Also on October 1st, 
We're going to do a Vision Sunday. It'll be a part of kicking off the um, relationship series. And I didn't know we were going to get prayed over and blessed today, but I did want to let you know today was the five-year anniversary, uh, not as much of us coming in and becoming the pastors here, though that is the case. It's really the five-year anniversary of something God did bringing two uh, church families together. We called it a merger. We called it a blending of families. And I want to show you a photo that I took on, let's see, it would have been Sunday, uh, September 16th. 2018. So it's actually technically yesterday, exactly five years ago. Jessica and I, we had been in Nashville for about uh, nine months. We moved here not knowing anyone from Los Angeles, felt called to plant a church. And we had been exploring a relationship uh, with the incredible people here at Graceland Church. And they had voted that night on whether to do this merger and for me to become the lead pastor here. And we were on our way at about 6 or 5 p.m., uh, on that evening after the vote, I had gotten the call from the former pastor, Ralph Duncan, saying it was a unanimous vote. There's a few people in the room that would have been here for this. And as we drove in, getting off of Lewisburg, I'm sorry, getting off of 840 and onto Lewisburg Pike, you can see the fountains there, there was a double rainbow over the building and over our property uh, that we call the Land of Grace. And so we snapped this shot and then walked in. And Victor Legner, who's here, I say this every year at this point, Victor, Victor met us out as we were about to walk into the foyer and said something like, this is your last chance to run. <laughs> I like saying that to grooms on wedding days. He said that to me on the day of the merger. I want to read to you um, the announcement we made the day after that, a story of God doing beyond what we could ask or imagine. The short version is that Risen Church Nashville, that was the name of the church we thought we were going to plant in Nashville, Risen Church, is merging with Graceland Church in Franklin and remaining under, and it's really, I have found out where our land is actually in Thompson Station, and remaining under the covering of First Assembly North Little Rock, which is Pastor Rod Loy's church in Arkansas, which he's still one of our overseers. In this merger, uh, we are inheriting a wonderful congregation, mostly made up of amazing spiritual grandmas and grandpas. If you're one of those amazing spiritual moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas that was here during this, can you raise your hand real quick? Look around, there's, there's some in the room. Yes. They have endured and they are here. And I wanna share this, when we were pastoring in Los Angeles, uh, our congregation was very young. You know, we planted that church in our 20s, pastored it through kind of like young to mid-30s. And we prayed those last few years, desperately, God, send us seasoned and mature spiritual grandmas and grandpas or moms and dads. And we never quite pulled it off out there. We just didn't know enough people. Any of the older people that were in our church were newer Christians. And so what God did here, in my mind, was, I mean, the land is beautiful, the building and all that, but the merger with the people was the most powerful answer to that prayer. So thankful for all of you guys that are here. And the ones that were here during that merger have been a direct part of the fact that our growth has been multi-generational. You know, you can't grow multi-generational unless you are multi-generational. This is a really hard thing to get into if you're just a bunch of kids. You guys know what I'm talking about? So I'm so thankful for that. Um, let me continue reading this announcement. So we, this wonderful congregation, a building, 135 acres of prime land in the Nashville area. It's on the intersection of 65 and 840. You can the land connects through the back driveway of our property here. Those of you men in the house, when we do our camp out in two weeks, um, we're gonna go out into that land. I'm gonna show you some of that land of grace and we're gonna be up next to the woods and I mean, we're gonna survive, you know? <laughs> we're gonna have you sign waivers. And 
we continue in the announcement. This is a major acceleration of what God has called us to do here. Last night, the Graceland membership voted unanimously in favor of this merger. I will now be the lead pastor, and our team will step in to lead. Jessica and I are in awe of how God has woven this together. Thank you to Ralph Duncan, who is now the pastor emeritus at Graceland, Rod Loy, Mari Davis, and Terry Bailey. Those are three uh, pastors, one out of town, two local uh, that were a big part of uh, making this happen for being instrumental in this process. Thank you to all those who have prayed and invested into this work. We still count on your support as we make this transition and lead up to a launch slash relaunch as Graceland Church. And we did that in January of 2019. During the voting meeting last night, this double rainbow appeared over the building and the property. We are thankful and filled with confidence that God has great things in store. Five years ago, isn't that amazing? So thankful for what God has done. In these five years, we've really seen the Lord be faithful to build his church, and not just our local congregation here, uh, but the church, his church, all around our nation, in our state, around the world. It's been a crazy five years if you reflect on it. We had this, this little thing called COVID. We've had increased unrest all throughout our country, more than we've seen in a long time. And here locally, we've truly seen uh, the lost come home and, and return to the arms of their father. We've seen a lot of people come alive in the purposes of God. I didn't count, but a lot of baptisms and people growing in their faith. We've seen families restored, people equipped and sent on mission. So in five years, we've had people come, get equipped and raised up and sent back out into other places now. We've picked up lots of new missionaries and compassion organizations that we support. We've seen healthy growth. We've paid off completely the debt on this building. We've more than tripled in size. We've secured land for expansion, this, this field right next to us. We began planning in detail the land of grace for the good of the city that will outlast all of us as a beacon of the good news of Jesus until his return. God has been glorified in our midst and we have made much of Jesus. So we thank him for his faithfulness and his goodness and his power, and we're just getting started. So I'm so thankful uh, that you guys are in the mix with our church. We'll share more on Vision Sunday in just a couple weeks. Let's just give thanks to God one more time. It is about him. Come on, let's lift up. Let's clap our hands. Let's thank him for his faithfulness. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. It is your church. It is your kingdom we want to see come. It is your will that we want to see done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had this picture too. I forgot to show it in first service, but here's my family right after that official merger five years ago. Clay was like two months old, three months old. Novi there at the top. She's now 14, so she was whatever, nine. Nessa was about three there, the little sassy one. And then Kenzie down there on the bottom was uh, six. And there, we're in the hallway right through that right through that corner right there. So they got to live uh, that miracle and that process with us, and we're so grateful. It really is beautiful when you look back on God's faithfulness in your life, in my life, in the life of our church and how he weaves things together. I remember when I was trying to win over the wife, I'm sorry, win over the heart of my wife, <laughs> not someone else's wife, win over the heart of my wife who was unmarried at the time. Um, <laughs> she was in college, and she was outside of the Philadelphia area at Valley Forge Christian College. And I went there for the first time uh, just trying to win her over. And I met the president of the school. His name was Dr. Don Meyer. She actually was his uh, assistant there for a season. I didn't know him. I didn't go to that school. I had no real connection to it other than uh, the church that I pastored in at that time. I was a young adult and music pastor. And my dad was the senior pastor of a church over there in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. 
that church supported Valley Forge Christian College financially. That was the only connection I knew of, but thousands of churches and people support that university. And I met him, and he held my hand when I shook his hand, and you know, I'm like 22 or something like that, and, or 23, I guess, and he said, he looked at me and he said, Kolar? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's I'm, I'm Kolar. And then he didn't let go, and he said, Charles, which is my dad's name. And I said, no, but that's my dad, and my name's Nathan. And it's like, do you know my dad? And he was like, no, but I study and pray for all the churches that support us. And so he knew my dad's name because he was the pastor of a church that supported the school. And this president that I had never met of this college with thousands of kids uh, called me out almost exactly by name. He got my last name and, and my dad's name. And it meant so much. You know, it's powerful when someone knows your name. I joked around with Jessica that he had my vote from that point on. There was no real voting, but I just, he, he won me over. And I also remember at that same season of life, there was a young guy named Keith Santiago who was visiting a, a young adult ministry that I was starting there in Pennsylvania. And he, he stood out to me. I learned his name. I, I, I tried to start getting to know him. And every time he'd show up on Sunday or something midweek, I'd, I'd go over to him, smile, hug him, say, hey, Keith, it's so good to see you. And he eventually became a minister and my successor for that ministry. And upon looking back, he said that the thing that drew him in, other than just God doing what God does, was how much I remembered his name and looked really happy to see him every time he was there. It's impacting when someone remembers your name and is glad to see you. And today, uh, we're going to share the second to the last sermon in this series through John with a message called, When Jesus Calls Your Name. Imagine the power of that. And we're going to read in John 20, starting in verse 11. We went up to verse 10 last week. And just to give you the context, Jesus at this point, as far as they know, is dead. He had been crucified. He had been buried. Now they found out that his body was no longer in the tomb. And Mary Magdalene is standing there. Peter and John were there and had now left. So picking up in verse 11, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. So remember, from Mary Magdalene's perspective right now, she is in a moment of despair and hopelessness. Jesus is dead. Now, on top of it, she's confused and probably angry. His body is gone. She said, they've taken my Lord away. And keep in mind, she's not just talking about the physical body of Jesus, but everything he represented. She might as well have been saying, they have taken my hope away. They have taken my salvation. They have taken my future. They have taken the promises of God away. Here she is interacting with angels and still feeling in despair. And it leads to number one, there are times in life when it feels like your hope has been taken away. Maybe you felt hope at one point. Hope gets a little bit harder the longer you live. I have found that to be true in my own life. It's never true that hope is gone, but it can feel like hope is gone. Sometimes you have the loss of a loved one and you feel despair or a loss of a relationship. Sometimes you're filled with terror over a diagnosis from a doctor. Sometimes you're filled with disappointment on how things in life have turned out. Sometimes we deal with depression. All the things that gave us joy once don't seem to quite cut it anymore. And there's good news. We're, we're not alone. Mary Magdalene was feeling like that. We have people all throughout scripture and church history that have felt like that. And let's look at what happened in this interaction. Verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. So this is just a remarkable scene. 
She thinks Jesus is dead. She's interacting with angels where the body of Jesus was. She's there by herself. The, the, the Peter and John have gone. She turns around and Jesus himself is standing there, but she doesn't know it's him. And it's clear to me, I think, why she didn't recognize him, because she thought he was dead. She wasn't expecting to see him. And it leads to number two, you won't recognize Jesus without faith and expectation that he's alive. Of course, if you think someone is dead and you don't expect him to show up and be faithful in your life, you're likely not gonna see him. This whole thing we have called Christianity is by faith. And one of my prayers for you and us today is to stop living like Jesus is dead and there's no hope and we're not recognizing him and start living like Jesus is alive and there's everlasting hope and start seeing him. And then look at verse 15. Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Now, Jesus knew why she was crying. He knew what she was looking for, but he asks her questions like he asks us questions to help us. He leads us through asking us questions. He knows the answer. Reading on, it says, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. So she's talking face to face with the risen Christ, the creator, and she thinks he's the gardener. And she says, please, if you know where they've put the dead body of Jesus, I'll go, I'll go get him. She's interacting with Jesus and doesn't know it. And it leads to number three, Jesus is closer than you think. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Sometimes in the midst of despair and in the midst of not being able to see clearly, we're crying out to him and we feel abandoned. We might even feel like God is dead. God might feel dead to you. You might've been so let down, yet you may be there actually interacting with the risen Christ, not yet recognizing him. And this is where we see this amazing moment in the account in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, just one word. That's all he said. He did not answer her questions. He did not say where the body of Jesus was. He did not say who he was. But the one word changed everything. And right after that, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So when Jesus called her name, she could see. She understood who he was. She understood again who she was. They knew each other. And this is true of us. And here's the principle number four. Jesus is alive and he's calling your name. When you hear him, it changes everything. You have to actually stop to hear him. You have to actually believe he's alive. And we're gonna talk about what to do with our doubts in a minute in this same chapter. But what a moment. There's something about hearing anyone that you love and respect and trust call you by name. There's something about that. I, there's certain people in my life that just the sound of their voice draws me close to the Lord. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like just hearing them on a phone call and I feel stirred in my spirit to like trust God more. You know, it just, just this, and then if they call my name, it's meaningful. And then times a thousand when it's your creator. And he knows you. Scripture says he knows the amount of hairs on your head. He knows what you're wrestling with. He knows your future. He knows your past. He knows what's going on right now. He sees you. He's aware of you. He knows the despair, the terror. He knows the excitement, the joy. And he actually calls you by name. He is alive. Then Jesus said in verse 17, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended 
to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. That right there is basically the first sermon. All we're doing with this preaching game is testifying unto the risen Christ. We have seen him. We have met him. He has changed our lives. We are not just like holding on to some kind of old thing that's dead. We are walking with the living Christ. And we are saying, this is him. He loves you. He's like, that's what she did right there. And by the way, the first sermon, the first one called to declare the resurrection was a woman. Come on, women in the house. I mean, like God can speak through women. Who would have thought? I'm being facetious. Women can preach the gospel. Women are called to make disciples. And I don't want to make light of it. I know it's a highly contested thing in our like, church culture right now. I have lots of friends that I love and respect that don't believe women can be pastors or preach. I believe they're completely wrong, uh, but I still love them in Christ. They're brothers, they're sisters in the faith. I think they really go wrong if they become jerky about it. And that I just, I don't get at all. I don't get why. But scripture says we are a kingdom of priests, men and women. Scripture calls us to make disciples. Scripture says we are filled with the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in a moment. God talked through a donkey. If anything, it's more miraculous that God can talk through a man. Anybody with me? I mean, just think about men versus women for a second. What's the bigger miracle? I'm just like, come on. And I, I don't want to make light of it. There might be some of you in the room who've been taught your entire life that a woman cannot preach or be a pastor. Um, I'm happy to talk with you about it. I will, I, I'm happy to show you what I believe is clear scriptural evidence. But I want to do also mention in the same breath, we, we walk united with the church of Jesus, the big C church, right? So the, the women in ministry thing, women pastors, I think it's a big deal, but it's not core to salvation, right? It's a technically a peripheral issue. So we can walk locked in arms with churches right here in the area that believe differently than us about that. I just don't want them to be a jerk to the women in our church. And I want my daughters to know God can use them however he wants to. My mom has been a pastor. Her, she's not a senior pastor, but she's been a pastor, credentialed minister and a preacher uh, since I've been a little kid. Um, I'm four generations back on my mom's side of pastors. That includes all my aunts and all my grandmas all the way back, uh, great grandmas, like for, for generations. And I'm just like, Study, look at church history. Most of the Bible colleges around our country were, were founded by single women. I mean, there's a, there's a clear like, lean towards women launching those. Like, are you really gonna go to those women and be like, you better stop doing what you're doing because this one verse that's taken culturally out of context. You can see I have some passion on it, so I'll reel this message back in. I'll reel this message back in. But here, I mean, he says to Mary Magdalene, go, and she says, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Um, verse 19, on the evening of that first day, so this is Sunday night, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Don't forget, the disciples are still terrified. Jesus was just killed in a gruesome death. There, there's highly contested space right now out there. They're starting to experience persecution. They've heard that Jesus is alive, but they haven't seen him yet. And it says that Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Amazing. This is the risen Christ. After he said this, he showed them his hands, the scars, and his side. 
where the, where the spear pierced him. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he gives them a mandate. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Number five, Jesus is alive and has sent you into the world with purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, you're a disciple. You're a disciple of Jesus. That's what we are doing here. That's what this is about. It's not about checking a box on Sunday attendance. It's not about me preaching, preaching sermons. And it's not about whatever, having great Sunday music. It's not about great kids ministry. All of it is beautiful, but it all really boils down to is it's about you growing as a disciple of Jesus and then us doing it together as a church family. And so you as a disciple have the call of God on your life to be sent by Jesus the way the father sent him. So Jesus is alive, he's your Lord, and he has called you and sent you. And with that, in verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then this verse 23 can be confusing. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Just a little theological training for you. When you're studying scripture with things that seem out of the ordinary, uh, you have to interpret scripture by scripture. So what I don't think this is saying, and, and no scholars believe this, is that I can go to my brother, Stephen Houlet, and be like, Stephen, um, because of that scripture, I can tell you you're not forgiven for something. Like, I'm not Stephen's judge. You tracking with me? What I do think it speaks to, of, speaks to is the authority we have in Jesus that we often don't really tap into. We often live like much more like those who, who are like needing to like, like, like beg or, and I'm not saying asking is wrong, but we don't fully understand the identity and the authority he's called us to walk in. And our, our Catholic brothers and sisters, I know, you know, some of you might have grown up Catholic. They practice confession to the priest and the priest absolves from sins. And I'm sure they look to this verse, but I don't think the full counsel of scripture says you have to go through a man or a woman to get forgiveness of sins. I believe we have connection to God. You have relationship with God and he alone can forgive you of sins and no man or woman can block you from having sins forgiven. Are you tracking with me? And so I believe that's really the arc of scripture, but I believe this reminds us of number six. You have the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the name of Jesus to walk in God's purposes, period. So I would just say, act like it. Understand you have the fullness of God in you. Like, I, I used Jim Bozeman in first service. I'll say it again. When I'm praying for Jim Bozeman, because he needs a lot of prayer. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a joke. That's a total joke. He, Jim's on our board. He may, yeah, we love each other, so I can joke him. When I pray for him, like I pray for all of you who need a lot of prayer, um, if I pray in the name of Nathan, like, God, I feel like I've been really good, so will you hear my prayer for my brother Jim? Uh, will, will you bless him? Will your, your hand be upon him? Will you give him peace and everything happening in his life right now? Will you bless his work? Because God, I really, in, in, in my name, Nathan, I, I know you love me. That's absurd. But that's kind of how we act sometimes in prayer. But what we're really doing is we're praying in the authority of the name of Jesus, who is God in the flesh and is making intercession for Jim already. So I'm partnering with it and say, God, everything you have for Jim, every purpose in his life, all the blessing, the peace, everything you wanna do in him, the challenges you've called him to walk through, God, would you, would you bless him and lead him in Jesus' name? And I know it's gonna be done. It's in Jesus' name. You tracking with me? It's an entirely different way to pray. It's an entirely different way to think about life. Pray in the name of Jesus according to the promises of God. And then in verse 24, this is really a beautiful juxtaposition, and this is where we'll land today as we finish this chapter. Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 disciples, 
was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so he didn't have that experience. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He just like makes the declaration. He's like, hey, I like you guys, you're my best friends, but I don't care that you saw the Lord. Unless I see him and touch him, I won't believe. And he would have said the same to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, that's great, whatever. Unless I see him, I will not believe. You've gotta give him credit for the honest declaration. And then look at this, how beautiful in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. So he's moving through walls at this point. This is the risen Christ. And he said, peace be with you. Then he went right to Thomas. He says, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Notice he didn't scold him for Thomas's honest prayer. He didn't smack him around a little bit first. Jesus wasn't even there when Thomas said that to the other disciples, but Jesus knows the prayers of your heart. And Jesus miraculously comes through the door, says, peace be with you, and goes right to Thomas, doubting Thomas, and does what Thomas needs because of his honest heart and prayer. And I love this about the Lord. Um, None of us would be here if this wasn't true, but it's number seven. Jesus hears your honest prayer and meets you there. That's the whole thing. It's not about working up a false sense of yourself or somehow thinking you're gonna get cleaned up or believing enough that then Jesus will meet you. It's about it being an honest seeker. And that includes your doubts. That includes the struggles. That includes the, just read the Psalms. The psalmist would sometimes say, God, why have you abandoned me? And they would circle back around to, I'm gonna try to trust you anyway. My whole life changed when I became an honest seeker. I grew up in church. I mentioned I'm like fourth generation pastor on my mom's side. I was born in a pew, essentially. I, I, I was just around it constantly. And I, I had some, like at five, I prayed to accept Jesus in my heart. Thank you, wonderful. At 12, I had a wonderful encounter with God. At 15, I remember having a real sense of encounter with God, but it didn't change my life. When I was 17, though, I became an honest seeker. And I began praying, God, if this is really true, I was being just like Thomas. I was basically saying to my mom and dad, my, all my pastoral family members, all of the people in my life that were Christians, I was saying, hey, I'm glad Jesus showed himself to you. But unless I meet him, I mean, what's the deal with this? And I was saying, God, if you're real, if this is all true, this stuff I've been taught, I want to know. And I was an honest seeker. It's, and, and just saying those words doesn't necessarily mean you're an honest seeker. It's a heart level. If you're just trying to like put God in a box so you can like spit on him and do whatever you want, that's not being an honest seeker. But if you're an honest seeker, he will meet you there. I mean, it's a promise. If you seek him with all your heart, you will find him, period. There is just no wiggle room on that. And that changed my life. I met Jesus. I became a lover of God. The the world that looked like it was black and white was now in color. I am not exaggerating. I switched from going to art school to going to Bible school. Everything in my life changed. I I began the process, which I'm still in the middle of, of actually loving someone other than myself, right? What a miserable life to just be locked into whatever we think this world can do for us and the plans for me, myself, and I. God wants 
to transform your life as he meets you as an honest seeker and put you into the world living in his purposes. Thomas said to him in verse 28, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I love that notion, by the way. There's so much more that Jesus did than what we read about here. Uh, I feel like that in my life. I, I, could, I could just talk forever about what the Lord has done. And then we end this chapter with the theme of the entire book that we've been talking about for two years, verse 31 of John 20. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that beautiful? So next week, we're gonna finish with chapter 21. It's the restoration of Peter who had a major failure. And as the worship team comes up, we're just gonna close in a time of prayer and response. If you could close your eyes with me, bow your hearts. My question to you is simple. Who wants to believe and have life in his name? Who needs to be reminded that Jesus calls your name? Who needs to be reminded that he will meet you in your honest prayer? Who needs to be reminded that he is alive, the risen Christ? He will cut through all the noise in your life today and call your name. And in an instant, you can be reminded that he knows you, sees you, formed you, and fashioned you before you were born, sends you, and fills you with his spirit and gives you authority to live in this world according to his purpose. Thank you for that, Lord. If you could close your eyes with me again all across the room just to respect everyone's privacy. Um, I'm gonna ask you, if you're wanting to be a follower of Jesus, maybe you're hearing him call your name and say, follow me. An invitation to a whole new life, a whole new existence, a world in color. Or if you're just, man, you've, you've maybe felt like Mary Magdalene at times and wondered, they've taken my hope away. They've taken my purpose away. They've taken my understanding away. And you just need the voice of Jesus calling your name to cut through like a knife, to just make sense and bring immediate clarity. Just raise your hand up. I'm going to look, but no one else. Just raise those hands up because I want to pray for you guys. I see the hands going up. Just hold them up for a second. I want to pray for you. Lord, you see the conditions of our hearts, and we know that you're the God who deals with our hearts. You deal with the hearts of men and women. You deal with the reality. So, Lord, thank you for those that are committing, saying yes to being a follower of Jesus. Maybe for the first time, we celebrate, God. That's what it's about. We celebrate with heaven. And you can just pray with me in your heart, Lord, I want to know you. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Forgive me where I have fallen short. Forgive me of my sins. Lead me onward in your ways, the way everlasting. I commit my life to you. I want to live according to your purpose and your plan. I want my life and, and generations after me to be different. Lord, I pray for those that might be in a moment of desperation or just need some, they need a dose of clarity. They need to hear their name called again. I pray that they would have the ears to hear it right now because I believe you're already speaking it. You're alive and you're speaking their name. Help them hear it. 
Help them remember you are the living God. You don't get tired or quit like we do. You never fail. You never fall short. You're the faithful one. And I pray that they would be filled with courage and strength and faith as they reach their hand out again to take yours. Thank you that we can run to your arms, Father. Bring encouragement and strength into your body, into this house, this family, as we endeavor into our next five years, Lord. Fill us with faith for what you will do. Come on, church, let's sing it. We run to the Father. Sing it out. Run to the Father, fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father. Also, men, if you could throw that graphic up one more time, Hannah. Um, This is less than two weeks away. Uh, Come hang with us. I I believe God is calling our men specifically, our women too, our youth too, of course. But I want to speak to you men for a second. God's calling you to grow. God is calling you to get honest about your life and grow as a disciple of Jesus. And that's the only reason we're doing events like this. We're going to hang and have a good time. We're going to like shoot some guns at traps, whatever that means. Someone else is running it. We're going to... We're going to grill. We're going to, we are going to cater Saturday morning. As I mentioned, we're going to um, have some fun. If you can't stay in the tents overnight, feel free to go home and come back in the morning. It's so short. It's 6 p.m. on Friday to 2 p.m. on Saturday. So come for the whole time if you can. If the 50 bucks is a problem for you, we'll cover you. Just let us know. We need you to register those. So start actually getting on there and registering. A a good crew of guys is already registered. But um, I just, I want to call you guys. uh, If you're uncomfortable camping, let that be a metaphor for the fact that God wants you comfortably uncomfortable in your faith. Like he wants you to grow. If you feel a little stirred and like someone's getting in your business, that's good. Like God doesn't want you complacent and we need each other. That's what being a brotherhood is about. So I just want to challenge you guys with it. We'll be doing other stuff too. It's not always camping, but this is what we got. This is what we got coming. You can use the QR code or gracelandchurch.com slash campout. Um, Boy, I'm thankful for the five years we've had. I hope we have 25 more. It's going to be fun. 25. I might be too old by then, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it all I got while I'm here. Like, we'll go down swinging. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going we're gonna to go for it. And just, I think God's going to keep blessing uh, his church and us here and what he's doing. Uh, what a joy. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son,
and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a great day.